welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we are reconciling human experiences with God and His Word so that we can love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. It's good to be back with you again this week. We have just completed the mini-series on how to read the Bible, looking at um, how God gave us His message by telling us a story through the Bible, and just how this the Bible is a story, and it's tells one cohesive message from Genesis to Revelation, and it all points to Jesus. I'm excited today to have on a prof of mine, Ernesto Duke, from Eternity Bible College. He was my Old Testament prof. He was the prof that helped us dive deep, help us dig into the Old Testament. It was a, it was some of the most intense study that I've done so far in my college pursuits. And definitely the most in-depth Bible study that I've ever done. But I, I really enjoyed the class, really enjoyed Ernesto as a prof, and I really enjoyed our conversation today where we look at how to read the Old Testament. We are here live with Ernesto Duke. Ernesto is my a prof of mine from Eternity Bible College, which is where I have been pursuing my Bachelor's of Biblical Studies. It's been slow in coming. But uh, Ernesto is teaches several classes at the school, but you were specifically my Old Testament modules prof, kind of the most in-depth class of Old Testament studies at Eternity Bible College. So yeah, Ernesto, welcome to Unfeigned Christianity. Thanks. I just learned right now what the name of the podcast was. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Unfeigned? Unfeigned, unfeigned Christianity. Unfeigned? Unfeigned. Oh, okay. <laughs> As in, um, I was trying, I was trying to get, it's, my wife actually came up with the name. I was trying to grasp, like, you could do real Christianity, but that kind of sounds... You know, like whenever yeah. you put real in front of something, it it's like you're yeah. saying yours is the best or whatever. Right, right. And then um, like one of my favorite podcasts is Preston Sprinkle's Theology in the Raw. Yeah. And so I was trying to grasp like that kind of just Christian, like difficult yeah. conversations that, you know, in ways that you're not supposed to talk about them. Okay. Or whatever. And so I went with unfeigned without pretense. And Yeah. Oh, okay, um, got it. I got not, it. I got it. Not fake. So. Yeah, yeah. You should have just call it "Not Fake Podcast," and that would have been perfect. <laughs> then, then it would work out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, it's uh, it's uh, it's an honor to have you on here. Um, yeah. You, thank uh, you. Why don't you give a little intro? You uh, you teach at Eternity Bible College. You have a. We were just talking about it before hitting recording. You have a master's degree from Western Seminary. Yep. Yeah, um, so um, I was actually a student at Eternity Bible College. Um, I graduated in 2015, um, and I've wanted to teach my whole life. Um, I know you didn't ask me this, but I'm just to tell you anyways. Um, I've wanted to teach since I was like in uh, elementary school. Um, as I got older, the age group went up, and then the, the subjects would change. Like when I was, I think I was like fourth, fifth grade, I thought I'd be like a great fourth grade teacher. And then like sixth grade, I thought, oh, I want to teach fifth grade. Like I always thought I could teach like one level behind me or whatever. Um, 
again, I wanted to teach, at first I wanted to teach math, and then I wanted to teach English, and then I wanted, uh, I actually first started going, well, okay, there's a gap in there. There was a time when I wanted to be a dolphin trainer, uh, like at SeaWorld, <laughs> like that was my dream, um, and that didn't work out, uh, and then I started to go to school to teach Spanish and Italian, that's what I thought I'd do, like at the high school level is teach Spanish or Italian. I thought if I had, you know, two language degrees and that like improve my employability at high schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my dad encouraged me to move to Mexico. So I did. Um, and so I was living in Mexico and that's when I kind of found a passion for biblical studies. Um, I wasn't going to school there, but it was, it was actually a lack of, I was part of a Christian ministry there and kind of what a lack of what I would call now biblical literacy and just realizing how important it is for, you know, obviously pastors and, you know, pastors and preachers and elders and stuff, but then also just like regular Christians to be literate in the Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why I went to eternity and um, being at eternity, kind of the next logical step was, I think I want to be a part of this biblical literacy thing um, and helping people become biblically literate. Um, and so then, yeah, I went to Western Seminary after that. And now I've been teaching at Eternity for a while, um, trying to, since 2017, I think was my first uh, year. So I don't know what that is, four or five years. This is the longest job I've ever had in my life. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So yeah, I love it. Uh, I love, obviously I love like interacting with students like yourself and um, other people that I get to have in the module. But um, what I think I really love about it is that I like that that original idea that I said of being a part of something that's helping people become literate in this thing that we all believe is like super important and shapes our entire lives and is foundational for everything that we do and yet most people only know like I don't know 20 percent of it you know so um, and that was kind of my direction towards Old Testament too was that here's two-thirds of the Bible that are super important according to Jesus and John and Paul and Peter and all these other people. But most of like our faith communities know very little about it. Um, So that's why I kind of lean that direction with my school stuff too. Yeah. 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 That's interesting to hear. I um, just for our listeners to give a little bit of context for the school, it, it, as far as the on-campus students tend to tends to be fairly young. I came in in 2018 as my boys are carrying on outside. I'm not sure if that's too loud or not, but oh, you get, it's okay. okay. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, no, I um, I was 20. How old was I? I think I was like 28 when I started my college. So I was like one of the older, older uh, characters there at in the student body. Yeah, and so for, like for me, it was similar in that my wife and I had served in very, whether even here in a church plant in Northeast LA, or we had spent some time overseas. Mm. And I had had some casual biblical training, but not, sorry, casual is maybe not, uh, what's a better word? It's unaccredited, whatever that means. You had like some super passionate Bible studies for a while. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, and I had even gone to a Bible, like they were formal Bible schools they just okay, weren't okay. necessarily accredited yeah yeah and and part of the reason why was because they weren't um like full semester programs right um, right right right. but it was kind of the same thing like feeling a need for more 
biblical literacy mm. both in my own life but also in just kind of the the church and ministry circles that i i had circled in i mean it's not to say that it wasn't there but that's definitely what what led me to pursue yeah. ebc yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i uh i one of my roles at eternity now is helping kind of with like marketing and recruiting and where do we get our students and stuff from and that what kind of what you described right now is what we would say is like our ideal student and that could be me projecting like my experience on eternity (laughs) so maybe that's a bad thing but um just this idea that like there are a lot of colleges out there that provide like the typical college experience of the dorm life and the intramural sports and like the giant beautiful campus and all that kind of stuff Um, but we're not necessarily trying to do that we're trying to at a very affordable you know non-debt way allow people to know the story really really well um and and if that's your goal then like i think we're a great fit you know if your goal is like you know whatever they say ring by spring or like you're trying to you know find your future spouse or or if you're just trying to like have a good time and like get out of your parents' house, like we're just not, it's not going to work. You know, we're, we have different goals as an institution. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I really do enjoy it. Um, yeah. uh, it's interesting that you talked about the age thing. Our average student now is actually 29. And so really? I think that as we've kind of morphed into some more distance education and become more global as a school, it's really kind of honed in on those students that like, this like w- what we offer is what they want like they're just trying to learn and they're trying to do it at an accredited like a legit you know undergraduate level but they're not really into like the frills of like a campus or dorm life or yeah. whatever it is um and those students tend to skew a little bit older you know mm-hmm. um so yeah 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 just as a, <clears throat> a side note the the financial aspect of ebc was definitely a big Big thing. The, the bigger thing that drew me, and we'll get into this in a little bit, was your your biblical theology approach as, a, yeah. as opposed to like that. I had seen that even several years before we we chose to go to Bible college, and mm. um, that was really attractive to me. But the the affordability of EBC, we have actually paid off debt while going while yeah. going to college. There so you that's, go. That's, that's awesome. We're we're going through Bible college and paying off debt. Yeah. At the same time, so it's right. It's been really nice. That's cool. You, uh, you, it, it would be fun before we hit record here. We were talking about foster care, foster care. Yeah. You got you and your wife, Renee have done foster care and we could talk about that. We could talk about a lot of things with you, but, um, yeah. I asked, I asked specifically about old Testament studies. Yeah. Is that, is that the, the primary class that you teach at EBC? Yeah. So, um, yeah, all of, everything that I have formally taught at eternity has to do with the old Testament. Um, the, the only exception to that is I think I was like a grader or a TA for, uh, for another class at one time. But, um, if you were to take our classes, all of our, our survey levels. So like our level one, you know, old Testament one oh one um, overview classes, those are all me, you know, in front of a camera. Um, I don't actually teach them online, but I did film all the lecture videos for them. 
And then the way that the curriculum works, the eternity is your second year, you kind of go back into the Old Testament, but at a lot more depth. Um, it's actually, it's technically, it's uh, three times slower through the Old Testament than what you did in survey. And that's where I spend actually most of my teaching time is in that second level um, we call them our upper division Old Testament courses, but it's, you've already been through the Old Testament once at a very like brief overview survey level. And now we're going back through it, but very slowly. Um, the irony of it is that once students get into it, they still feel like we're moving too fast through the Old Testament, uh, but it is three times slower than what you did, than what somebody did in like an Old Testament 101 course. And as far as we know, which we do know a lot about this, we're the only school that does that. Uh, we're the only undergraduate program. Yeah, that does that. Even uh, graduate, like uh, master's or MDiv programs won't, won't do that. Um, for the most part, your exposure to the Old Testament in Bible college is a Old Testament 101 style class, like an overview. And then um, maybe there might be an elective that you could take like on the Psalms or on the prophets or like just, just on the book of Isaiah or something. But the way that we do it, where like you go through it and then you go back through it, like nobody else does that. Um, and so that's, that is kind of cool to be a part yeah. of that very unique part of eternity. Um, but yeah, that's where most of my teaching is, is in the module. Yeah. yeah. And so what you're saying is what we did in the module, the slower pace, the second time. And, and in that slower pace, we read like our, the, the assigned reading was usually to read the same passage at least like four or five times. If yeah. I remember correctly. That, yeah. That's, that's somebody with some, uh, some PTSD speaking. It's definitely like, two, it's like two or three times, but every once in a while it was like, read this five times. So I think you might be projecting a little bit of your trauma on, onto the course, on. but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's not even going through it like one more time. It's like going through it very, like, you know, like the first lesson of Genesis one and two or whatever. Like, I think we have you read through that multiple times in the lesson. And then you're kind of doing like uh, exeget, you're doing exegesis through every single sentence and almost every, you know, once we get into the narrative, it's maybe like more paragraphs that you're really working through. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it, yeah, that's, that's not anywhere else. You know, like the, the max amount of credit hours attributed to the Old Testament as required credits that I've ever seen at any other school is six credit hours of required. You might pick up electives to have more, um, but eternities is um, whatever 18 plus six is 24. 24 so yeah. yeah, there's 24. So it is, it's not even, like I said, it's like three times more. It is yeah. a yeah. lot more in depth, especially with the old Testament. Um, yeah. Once you get a new Testament studies, a lot more schools will have a heavier emphasis on the new Testament. Um, okay. But for ours to have 24 credit hours dedicated strictly to old Testament studies is unique um, yeah. amongst biblical studies programs or uh undergraduate bible schools for sure yeah. yeah yeah is that like i'm I'm not super familiar with other ways bible colleges work and so forth yeah. but the whole biblical theology approach to studying the bible is that why you spend so much time in the old testament or yeah it, yeah that's a, a that's a great question um that's definitely part of it um i think that so a lot of schools, uh, this is not like a, a bash on anybody. This is, I'm just trying to explain it, how it is, and then why like we do it a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of Bible schools or undergraduate education, 
there is uh, biblical education. There's a heavy emphasis on systematic theology um, and the idea of going through like doctrines and this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. Um, and eternity actually early in an early iteration of the school, um, like 2004 through 2008 or so, that's kind of what it was. Like there was Old Testament overview, you know, what we call Old Testament survey one and two, but then there was just like a lot of theology, like a lot of systematic theology. Um, and kind of in the rewriting of the curriculum, the idea was that systematics are good. Uh, systematics are how we get like the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. And what is salvation? What does the Bible teach about, um, you know, about the gifts of the Spirit for today? Or whatever, whatever question that you want to insert in there. But the conviction is that good theology is built on a solid biblical theology. Good systematics are built on like already tried and true biblical theology. Um, and so that was, that's one of the pushes. The other push is to realize that a lot of uh, systematic theology books, like, you know, like a Wayne Grudem systematics or something like that. Mm. Um, it is a uniquely uh, Western discipline to do systematic theology. And uh, we have a conviction as a school that the Bible was written more in the style of narrative and as a story that unfolds from Genesis to Revelation and climaxes in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and then the continuing of his church or whatever, or however you want to say that. But a, a story is not like a, a, a book of systems, right? A story is much different. It, tell, it tells differently. It talks differently. It um, communicates truth differently. It implies and um, you know asks us to do things in a different way than like a system of belief does right um one of the common things you'd find in a systematic theology is actually what you won't find which is what are you supposed to do with all this right there's like you know 300 pages that's an exaggeration there's whatever 100 pages on this particular doctrine of what you're supposed to believe and why you're supposed to believe it and all these logical connections for these different verses um but there's nothing in there about like so then what is that supposed to do with your life or whatever mm -hmm. um and I think that I might not be speaking for the school and I say this. So personally, I just say that that's a huge pitfall of systematics. Um, whereas biblical theology, when it's done through the idea of story and like worldview shaping, it implies that, um, that your life should look different and should be shaped different as you continue to like immerse yourself in this story over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just made that last part up. So, but it sounds, that, that is what I, that is what I think. I just, you know, somebody smarter than me hasn't said it yet for me to like quote them on it. Yeah. 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 No, that that's, that sounds good. That, um, I, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, like having gone through some Bible study and even just my, my own personal Bible study, I, I wasn't new. Like I wasn't let, like a new believer coming to Bible college and learning the Bible for the first yeah. time but i would say have discussed like in the last four years have discovered have had us a, a feeling of of excitement about the about scripture hmm. that i never had in before that growing yeah. up growing up in a christian home my dad was a pastor i've i'm very familiar yeah. with biblical stories Right. But to see to to discover the Bible as one continuous story has been a huge right right uh, impact on me in that way yeah. as far as growing kind of a uh, 
I don't know, I guess uh, biblical terms, uh, hunger and thirst for God's word or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How maybe just, just to, to clarify. So you come from like, what's your, what's your church tradition background? I guess I didn't yeah. ask, ask yeah. you about this, but um, I am a, I'm an Amish Mennonite like you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, for people who actually know Asher, I didn't know anything about Anabaptists and Mennonites or anything like that. So I just always just projected on him, like that he built that microphone with wood, you know, and like mallets or something, <laughs> um, which is totally not fair. Be, um, being the only Anabaptist in class, he would call me a Hutterite, Amish, Mennonite, and not realize like there's drastic yeah. differences between all. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know what? I don't think, I don't know if I told you this. For one, uh, for a year, I worked and did some side work for uh, Rosedale Bible College, which is like oh, really? the flagship school for the Mennonite Conservative Conference or whatever. And they were mm -hmm. working with the LMC to like do this thing together. So I learned a lot about your people, you know, and I realized that I was wrong. <laughs> I was, I was drastic. It's like when people talk about Africans, you know, but we don't talk about, you yeah. know, an entire other continent that way. So yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, yeah, funny. my, uh, my mom came to faith in like, a, um, what do you call that? Oh, Calvary Chapel Church. Um, so I went there for a little okay. bit when I was a little, little kid. Um, and then I, uh, we were part of a non-denominational church. It's now part of the EV Free denomination in Northern California. Um, I would describe it as like very theologically conservative, um, definitely like politically conservative, but unlike maybe some other evangelical um, things, like I don't think that the politics was like on stage, you know, with everything else. It was very... Mm uh centered around at least my my memory which is probably bad but my memory around is that it's just very centered around like the 45 minute sermon that happened on a sunday um and then the bible study stuff uh was you know i like these great uh I had these great bible study leaders um when i was a kid when i was in a uh, high school glenn and Gigi gentlemen who um, what I didn't even realize they were doing is they were teaching me how to do what now I would say is like legit biblical discipleship, which is that this is so much more like this gathering of like us studying a Bible or going through a book is so much more about like building relationship and getting to know each other and eating together and playing together and laughing together. And then obviously like, you know, the studying part is a necessary aspect maybe, but it's not like the most important thing that's happening. Um, but that was like a, if I can be honest, like that was like an outlier of like the rest of the, what you might call the liturgy of our church, which was very centered around, um, yeah, just like a very theologically conservative understanding of scripture. Um, and I don't necessarily mean that in like a, in a, with a negative connotation. It's just like a very like, you know, centered, the Bible preaching is all that we really need for life. Um mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then I moved to Mexico where, um, well, I guess, yeah, I'll just skip a little bit forward, but being in Mexico, I just saw a very different version of church, you know, like um, largely uneducated um, by what we might call educated standards um, of like the people in the congregation. Um, pastor, you know, loved Jesus, served him his entire life. Um, his dad planted the church. He was faithfully serving every Sunday. But no formal education. Um, and it was very different, you know, very different experience. Um, mm. 
so yeah, I think like some of the stuff that, you know, I know we're going to eventually get to, like, it was a weird awakening for me too, in the sense of like, uh, I guess I'm using awakening in a positive way, which I think maybe not everyone would say that that transformation or that process I've gone through has been positive. Mm. But for me, I think it was a discovering of what scripture is, you know, and what it's trying to do. Um, and that really, when we're importing uh, other desires on scripture, um, and we want it to act and react and function in a way that it wasn't designed to do, like, it's just, it's, it's not going to work out, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna cause problems, it's gonna fall short, it's going to, and in some ways, it's just going to be like, kind of abusive and um, irreverent mm-hmm. of this thing that we think is so valuable to us, which is mm-hmm. the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. um so yeah 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 hey friends i wanted to tell you about our online course finding my place in god's story we just launched it just this week enrollment is open for seven days it's open from january 27 through february 2nd and it's a five module course it's structured in such a way where you, all you have to commit is about 30 to 50 minutes a week there will be bonus content that you can peruse to enhance your experience of the course but you don't need to if you don't have the time in order to get the most out of this course all you have to commit to is 30 to 50 minutes a week it's a five module course that looks at how to read the bible how do we what paradigm shifts do we need to make in order to understand the bible the way the biblical authors intended it to be understood how do we find the meaning of scripture what is the story of the bible and we walk through the main themes of the bible to understand the overarching message that god is unveiling through his word and then the final module looks at our place in god's story and as a part of that we do some introspection looking at our own story what has happened thus far in life and how does it fit into the biblical narrative and what might god have for us moving forward if this course sounds like something you'd be interested in i invite you to sign up again it's open till february 2nd just visit findingmyplaceingodstory.com it's really simple www.findingmyplaceingodstory.com to learn more about it we um the reason I ask you some of your background is just so my audience can get a little more context, but also like, um, and I've, I've had conversations with other people, other, actually someone in our church, I was Mm. talking to about this and I made the statement I'm about to make. And he was like, well, he doesn't think that's his experience. So maybe this isn't as true as, as I think, but I would say, in our in anabaptist circles the like jesus is very much the center mm-hmm. and i think um <laughs> sorry i'm thinking ahead of myself yeah, like, yeah obviously like one of the, one of the things that i've discovered in in my bible college process is how central jesus is to to all of scripture even mm-hmm. even in the old testament um but it played out in churches by more focusing on Jesus's own teachings, you know, the, the gospel specifically the sermon on the Mount is kind of the pinnacle of, of his teaching and, and neglecting the old Testament to a large degree. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I am looking forward to this conversation is just to, to dive into obviously i mean the old testament is two-thirds of the bible so we can't yeah. we can't do it in 
40 minutes or whatever, but um, you, you mentioned importing our questions, our ideas onto scripture, onto the text. And what, um, yeah, I guess how, how should we read? So when I grew up, growing up, my approach to any part of the Bible would have all been the same. Whether it was Genesis, whether it was Leviticus, whether it was Isaiah, whether it was Matthew or Timothy or yeah. Revelation. Yeah, like yeah. It's all you read it and you obviously knowing that you should read the whole book because it's right. like the same guy wrote it all usually. Sure, sure. And um and so then you read it and you try to figure out what it's saying okay. and, and what it might mean for your life, right? Yeah. There yeah is that um is that how we should necessarily read the old testament or how do we read the old testament in a way so that we don't import our own assumptions and our own questions onto it yeah yeah well um i think uh well me try and answer I feel like there's like five questions. So let me try it. Let me try a couple of them and then we'll see if we can get some other ones. Yeah, so one of, one of them is that I think that, um, and I don't think you're doing this on purpose or whatever, but there, there's a, from my opinion, there's a faulty assumption that we can somehow come to the Bible without our questions and assumptions and cultural perspective and worldview and stuff like that. I, I do think that some of the more like, the literal camp or whatever, uh, like the, the group of, this is kind of how I grew up, right? That, you know, when I read scripture, I read it literally. And I take scripture to mean what it literally says, you know? And so if, if in Genesis one, that God says that he created the earth in seven days, then there is no potential reading outside of that happening in seven exact days. You know, if uh, the, the numberings, when you add up all the numbers in the book of numbers, if it says, you know, but that there's X, you know, 750,000 men or whatever it is. Therefore, we know that with women and children, there's probably 2 million people or so wandering around the desert. And therefore, I just, I'm so confident that there has, and if you tell me that there's 1.5 million people, then I'm going to tell you that you're a liar and you should get out of my church and you're not allowed to be a part of my life or something like that. Um, nobody would say that, obviously, but like, that's kind of the extremism of like the dedication to the literalism um, mm -hmm. of reading scripture. And, but I think that even that assumption that scripture ought to tell what we would consider a like a literal black and white one-to-one -one truth is an assumption that we're bringing to scripture. Uh, and that assumption is likely, um, you know, based in our education and our background and our cultural, like how we grew up and our worldview and like what our culture has taught us about things that are true or whatever, or what culture has taught us that history is supposed to be, right? That history is supposed mm -hmm. to be um, like a, a close to as accurate as possible accounting of the events in chronological order, the way that they happen without bias or subjectivity, right? And I don't think that it's wrong for you to recognize that that's the culture you grew up in. And that's what you've been taught that history is supposed to be. You know, um, the big, you know, the big question, the big debate that people always talk about is like the, the first few chapters of Genesis and like a literal young earth creation of like seven literal days or like uh, some sort of theistic evolution where, you know, God's in charge of this long evolutionary process 
or, you know, that God created, you know, that the days are one day is like a thousand years of the Lord. So maybe this is like 7,000 years of a process or something or 10,000, whatever the math is from Psalms. Um, and I think that like, it's not wrong and we shouldn't discourage people from recognizing that they have questions about that. Um, but at some point we do have to say that maybe the Bible is not trying to answer the question that you have. It doesn't mean your question's invalid. It doesn't mean that we should dismiss your question as like, well, you're an idiot or you're just like a Western American that only cares about this. It's like, well, that's not like we grew up, you know, you and I grew up, um, and probably most of your audience, like in the wake of Darwinism and like humanism and this idea of like this theory of evolution being presented and then accepted and then obviously like put into curriculums and things like that. Like, you know, the, the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 was written so many thousands of years before Darwin was even like a, a, a thought, right? And so mm -hmm. it's not necessarily wrong that because of your cultural context, because of the water that you swim in, like you're concerned, like is this Darwin guy right? But when you when then when then you say that I'm going to look to a, a document that tells a story that was written, you know, by whatever estimates, however many thousand years of thousands of years ago, into a different culture, a different people, a different time, a different place, and that it's going to answer my questions as an Angelino in you know here living in the 21st century that's um yeah i just think that's the unfair part but having the mm -hmm. questions is totally mm -hmm. legit and i think especially as like you know i'm working with students or people in my church and we're like thinking through this stuff i never want to, to i never want to tell somebody that they're that their question or their their what they really want from scripture that like that it's Ill illegitimate but i think that it's mm -hmm. at some point um personal opinion at some point you have to adopt the perspective that the bible is a cultural document um i don't know how to say this the right way without getting somebody angry at me so i don't mean every word that i'm saying perfectly exactly what i'm saying but it is a, a document that was written uh to a people in a place over a period of time and i am not any of those right i am not the one who wrote it i'm not the original recipients of it and I don't exist anywhere in the place or time that it was written to. And so it's a, I'm very much removed from the original intentions and writings of this document um, or these multiple documents or these uh, scrolls that are then put together and pieced together and turned into this thing that we have that we call the Bible. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think the, you know, the, the first thing that I usually say when people, you know, when I'm working working with when I'm you know talking with a new believer or somebody's like trying to study scripture or especially the old testament maybe they've been a believer for 10 years and they never read the first part of their bible I I think that asking that question like you know what is this document what is this section of scripture trying to do and what is it you know what are some of the cultural assumptions of the original audience that maybe are trying to be that scripture's working with within or, or questions that the original audience would have had that it's trying to answer. And if that happens to line up with the question that I have about scripture, that's great. But if it doesn't, I might need to go to the greater church family to discernment, discipleship, church history, to try and figure out, you know, what the, what the answer to my questions are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, that's a, when we sell the Bible as like a, um, 
uh, fix all your problems, all the, uh, what is it? Uh, what is that? What's that acronym? Oh, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've definitely seen like a meme or 17,000 of those. And like when we sell the Bible that way, especially to a new believer or to someone who's just like starting to read scripture for the first time, I, it's just so disingenuous in the sense of like, if you think that this is going to like function like an instruction manual that your vacuum comes with, like you're going to be really disappointed when the the manual tells you one thing in this part and a different thing in this part. And then it tells you like, hey, that thing we were doing before, now we're doing something different. And you're like, oh, so I got to, you know, take apart this whole thing that I built before. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah, yeah. But and and that's like a silly, probably stupid analogy of the vacuum or whatever. But when you do it with people's lives, like you're kind of messing people up, right? Mm. Um, because most people initially come to scripture. This is anecdotal, but I think it's true. But I think most people initially encounter scripture on their own for the first time in some sort of like crisis, at least in our culture, right? And that might mean mm. that you grew up in the church and you read the Bible and stuff like that. But the time that you like sit down on your own, outside of your dad telling you this is what we're doing for Sunday school, but you're like, I, I want to read scripture. It's because you're trying to find something, right? You're trying to discover something. You're searching for more meaning or something like that. And I do think the Bible offers that, but maybe in a way that's completely, it needs, it requires you to like alter your expectations of what you might get out of it uh, when you approach it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think, um, as you were talking the like when we're approaching scripture as an instruction manual or when when we initially came to it because of a crisis and if we continue coming back to it because of crisis or we're looking for answers to questions there's huge chunks of especially the old testament right that does that isn't set out to answer specific questions and so it gets right. really boring and you you wonder if if like what's the point of it or even is there something wrong with you because you're not just like yeah. getting the magnificent truth out of it right right and for me it was kind of freeing to realize like oh you know most of leviticus should be read through quickly probably and in the context of all the other what is going on in the torah yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and like to uh, i love the the bible projects like short one sentence summary is that leviticus is a like uh oh man i'm gonna mess it up now but it's like basically like a a priest a priestly user manual or something like that mm. right like a, a lot of leviticus is obviously super interesting to like why the priests are doing this and how that echoes back to creation yeah. and god's initial design for like his image bearers to be stewards of the earth and all the garden image imagery within the tabernacle and all that stuff but another thing that's happening is that it's just trying to tell this specific group of people how to do their job right you know yeah. um yeah. so yeah you could be super disappointed if you uh if you go to leviticus expecting like this life-changing verse which might happen um and that's the hard thing though you know like some people uh, okay this is a real story um why would i lie and make up a story but this is a real story um because i definitely used to approach scripture more like that style or whatever mm -hmm. um and when i was in uh junior high i think it was maybe i was in high school but i was like helping out with the junior high youth group or ministry um i was asked to teach and 
the way that I chose what verse I was going to teach from is I literally closed my eyes and thumbed through the Bible and just found a verse. And whatever it landed on, I, I, I preached that verse. And I remember that the first time that I preached at that church in that ministry was um, the flood story. And, and so it wasn't just one verse. It was like the whole story or whatever. And like, no joke. I couldn't have done better, right? Like, like I, I literally, there's somebody I know today, like I changed their life that day, right? You know, it's just like this, uh, or I guess the spirit did, but like, yeah. it was like, I, you know, I had in my head that, well, this works. Like you just pray and you just open the Bible and you point to it. Um, and so then the next time I was asked to preach, I did the same exact thing. And it was, I could not have failed any harder than I did that second time. And, you know, I think you could get like a cosmic level and say that God was trying to teach me something, which is probably true. But there's also just like this. I, I thought I found something that worked. And um, and I think it's like important to recognize that like this girl's life was changed from that moment for the yeah. like today, you know, 25 years, 20 years later. Like her, that's I was not 12 years old, whatever it was, 15 years <laughs> later, uh, like her life is different because of that day. And so it worked, but I guess that's another um, kind of like paradigm to, or uh, like a, uh, an angle to look at it from is that like the Bible is not to be approached like with utilitarian lenses, like just because it works to accomplish whatever you want it to do doesn't mean that that's what it was designed to do. And it doesn't mean that you're not like misusing scripture when it, when it does that thing, mm -hmm. even if that thing has what you might think is like a positive outcome to it. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't negate the positive outcome, but it does tell you something about the process that should yeah. probably be altered. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. that makes sense. So what, um, like, how do we, as someone, does everybody have to go to Bible college? to read the old testament like should you not go to bible should you not read the old testament till you go to bible college and take yeah old testament backgrounds and and old testament module and or how how do we how what are ways we can approach the old testament and or even resources that can help us um yeah what what do you tell people when you're yeah discipling them and so i tell people two things um and one of them is a story and I'm trying to decide if I should tell it or not. I, I think I'm going to. And if it was a bad idea, you know, only the Anabaptists will get mad at me. So I think it's fine. Um, <clears throat> so let me, let me intro it this way. Um, you and I have actually talked about this in person in class before. I don't know if you remember this, but you asked me a question that, uh, that you, you changed my life just kidding. I mean, you kind of did. You've asked me a question that I have not figured out. And I've been thinking about and read a lot. I've read a lot on since this one random question you asked me one day during really? class. Interesting. It was that same question. And it was something along the lines of you said, like, well, why, why do I have to go to Bible college? And why do I have to be here, you know, nine hours a week? This is when we were meeting in person for nine hours a week and doing 18 plus hours of work in between those meetings and like how come it takes so much you know for me to know for me to be able to understand you know what I'm reading in scripture mm -hmm. right um and so I learned that there's this whole field of study that's uh called the perspicuity of scripture um and 
the, or I don't know, yeah, it's a field of study. And the, the premise of it is basically the exact question you're asking is how much, or what, what is it that an individual can perceive, can understand in a raw, plain reading or understanding of scripture? Because obviously, like a lot of what we talk about in an upper division Old Testament course, like we're talking at a level, um, not to like talk in like a demeaning way, but there's a reason that as a school, we make sure that students take hermeneutics, Old Testament survey one and two and Old Testament backgrounds before you even touch the module class. And it's because um, like, I, I usually like liken it to like language learning. Um, you know, like I speak Spanish as well uh, as, as English and I can help somebody get better at their Spanish. But if somebody is like fairly fluent uh, or they're like conversational and they're, they're just trying to improve their overall Spanish skills, we're going to have a very different conversation and it's probably going to be in Spanish, right? You know, that's how we're going to improve things. Um, whereas if you're like an absolute beginner, like we just got to start with like, hola, you know, like that's, that's where we have to start, right? But we're not yeah. going to be able to have the same conversation. Yeah. And this idea of like the perspicuity of scripture is that there is, I don't know if it's a, if it is a Western Protestant, um, if it came along with like the priesthood of all believers and, you know, uh, printing press and all that kind of stuff, or if it's like a uniquely evangelical thing, I kind of think it's a uniquely non-liturgical thing um, where we have this idea that like anyone anywhere with very little effort can understand what the Bible says at any time. You know, you just got to pick it up and read it. And whatever the plain reading of scripture is, like that is what scripture means or whatever. Um, and I, I guess like there's a, so this is why I've struggled with this, right? Um, the folks in the neighborhood that I live in and folks that are in our church, you know, some of them, dear brothers and sisters, like they only have maybe like a fourth grade level education, right? Um, mm -hmm. and most, most folks here are literate, but it's going to be hard to like engage certain parts of scripture. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I, I would never want to say that in order for you to know the heart of God, that you need a master's degree in biblical, you need six years of formal rigorous education or in order to understand the heart of God, or some people might even go further. Like you need a PhD in biblical studies. And even then you need a PhD in new Testament, which means you can kind of understand whatever you wrote your dissertation on, but you don't really understand like, you know, what's going on in Joshua or something like that. And I'm not going to articulate it the same way he did, but N.T. Wright gave the best answer that I've heard on this, which is basically that like, it comes back to like the purpose of scripture. Um, and that if the purpose of scripture is to introduce you to a Messiah who has given his life for you, who has de uh, defeated the powers of evil and who offers you an invitation to be a part of his kingdom, then any person who is literate in the language that they're reading the story of scripture in can get that, right? It's very, and he probably said it more eloquently than that. And maybe I said something heretical just now. So I wasn't trying to, but you can get that. But can you really understand, you know, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament is Judges. And it's because, um, of this idea that judges is Davidic propaganda literature. Like it's written in order for its readers to recognize that a descendant of Benjamin or someone from the tribe of Benjamin who is tall and howdy 
I don't ever use that word in real English, but a, you know, Saul is not a good leader and that actually the Benjaminites have some corruption going on and that Yahweh has chosen the house of Judah to lead his people to restore peace and shalom amongst his, um, amongst his nation, right? And that the whole purpose of Judges is doing that. It's not like this weird story with Samson or like, you know, killing somebody with a goat bone or something like that. Like those are all stories that are really leading to this bigger thing of like being, yeah, Davidic propaganda literature. Like yeah. it's, it's trying to move the audience in a way to speak, David supportive and not Saul supportive. Um, mm. And are you going to get that the first, second, third, fourth, 75th time that you read scripture all on your own? No way. Like there's no way you're going to get there. Um, but is that necessary to like be a part of the kingdom? Absolutely not. Right. Mm. But is it necessary to understand what's happening in judges and why the book of judges is written and how it fits in the bigger story and how it, um, how it teaches us about different ways uh, that the Bible communicates truth. Like, I think it's all necessary for that, right? Mm -hmm. Is it necessary yeah. to like, um, in order for someone to be saved? Well, I mean, this is a controversial statement, but like, you have to define what that means, right? Like, because the Bible, it doesn't seem like scripture is super concerned about like getting people to heaven, like basic instructions before leaving earth, like that idea it seems like scripture is super concerned with people giving their allegiance to Jesus and becoming part of the kingdom um, and, and not as heavily concerned on that other thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's the basic, uh, I could tell the story if you want, I guess I kind of took a long time to yeah. intro it, but we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to tell the story, go for it. Well, here, I'll tell it. I'll try and tell it real short. Cause it's just a funny story. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with this idea of like, Oh, sorry. Let me say this. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. So that's okay. Um, one, one of the things that I say that my job is at Eternity is uh, I'm not necessarily like a professor of Old Testament. I'm trying to convince people to listen to other people that have spent their entire lives studying this particular thing, whatever it is. And not just their individual lives, like they've been in a community of people who have studied this for centuries and you should probably listen to them because your own like individual findings or interpretations or even opinions about what something means, like they might be valuable, they might be right on or whatever, but there's like a whole community of Jesus followers who have dedicated their collective, you know, decades, centuries of study to this. And we need to learn to listen to them as we contextualize those truths into our own life, right? Um, so my story, my quick story, is that one day I was driving with my in-laws, with their family. Have I told you this story before about the snow? No? Uh, I'm not sure. It might okay. come back. Okay, okay, okay. I'm driving with my in-laws. And um, it starts to precipitate. And what's hitting the window is like, you know, if you've ever seen like where it's like kind of icy and rain and snow mm -hmm. or something like that. And so then this discussion arises in the minivan of eight people. Like, what is this called? And it becomes a pretty like heated discussion around what this is called. And some people want to call it sleet. Some people want to call it a wintry mix. Some people want to call it popcorn snow. Some people are calling it hail uh, or hail and snow. And we get through the whole discussion just to conclude that nobody knows whatsoever what we're talking about. Oh, I should preface. This is like pre-iPhone days, right? So no, we, we yeah. couldn't just like solve it with a Google, right? We're just driving 
This used to happen, by the way, for people who don't know this, you used to have questions and not answer them, right? <laughs> and so we're, we're driving pretty far, like I think it was like a four hour trip. And so then about 20 minutes later, it was close enough to where I remember it being like almost immediately afterwards, 20, 30 minutes later, Somebody in the car asked a question that's kind of like a Bible question. And I don't remember what the question was, but it was something, it was something that like is very Bible 101 Old Testament survey. It was an Old Testament question. I do remember that. And so um, somebody asked the question and then one of my in-laws kind of chimes in and says something that is like, you know, way over here or whatever. And then like somebody else says something that's way over here. And there's kind of this discussion. But then my mother-in-law, who knows that I've gone to school for six years about this thing, she just says, oh, well, what do you think, Ernie? And so then I give my explanation. I'm like, oh, actually, you know, everybody knows that this is the answer to whatever we're talking about. And then my, at the time, like 13-year-old brother-in-law says, yeah, I don't know about that. And he goes off like on his whole thing or whatever. And, uh, you know, to this day, I think he's, he was just being a kid, right? But, but the thing was, is that like, in that car, his opinion was like a legitimate, acceptable opinion about what this particular Bible question was, right? Mm -hmm. And my comparison is that let's say we were driving and it started to wintry mix, sleet, hail, snow, whatever. And I had a master's degree in meteorology, right? And I even worked for a local news station where I would deliver the news regularly to thousands of people. And there was a discussion that arose about what we call this. And I said, oh, actually this is called sleet because it has whatever property sleet has. I can almost guarantee you that the conversation would have been over at that point, right? Like somebody with a master's in meteorology, who's a weatherman, told us what this precipitation is called, so we can be done with it, right? But something about like American evangelicalism that was like a microcosm here in this minivan driving on the five in Oregon, it was just like this picture of like, oh, well, this is how this is how we think scripture works. Right. You've got people who have spent a lot of time and money and dedicated to things, and they're telling you that this is not like a disputed thing or a longly discussed thing. And there's not like multiple sides mm -hmm. within academia about it. But like, here's what the general consensus is about this issue, about whatever, you know, creation or numbers or judges or like the, you know, the timing of the, the exile, the conquest or whatever you want it to be. And then people just go, no, not true. You know, yeah. it's 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 a weird like. Uh, I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a weird world to be in, I think. And it, mm. it, it relates to this idea of like the prospectivity of scripture in that mm -hmm. while you're in the car and you're looking at the precipitation, our tradition has told us that everyone in the car has an equally valid opinion about what we're going to call this. And I'm definitely not trying to go back to like the, you know, pre-Reformation days where only certain religious elite people have access to like the right answers. But there's just something to be said about the fact that a lot of people, a lot of Jesus loving, Bible believing Christians who have given their allegiance to King Jesus, who have taken decades to study and think about this stuff. This is what they think. And I don't know that we really have the right to just right away just say like, well, no, I think it's called wintry mix, you know, yeah. um, but that that's how it works. Like, you know, in yeah. most of our churches and unfortunately it's because sometimes like when leadership, um, you know, pastors and preachers and elders and deacons, like when they present this particular view um, that, you know, whatever it might be, 
in a confident way that this thing is called wintry mix and anybody who calls it sleet is an outlier and should be ousted from our church. But when everyone else, like all the meteorologists in the country are calling it sleet, um, it's, you know, it's either that they're all crazy or you're a little bit off, you know, and which yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. We can, yeah. we can go on to something else, but um, <laughs> well, I yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. I was just saying, I, this has happened like three or four times in the last few months that I, I don't realize how passionate I am about this particular subject. And I think it's just because of, you know, working at the school and like, I don't claim to have answers on everything. Um, but, you know, I did, you know, but I did go to school for a long time. This is my job, right? You yeah, know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like what yeah. I think that should matter some. It doesn't need to be like the end all like well now whatever Ernesto says or whatever Tim Mackey says or N.T. Wright or whoever like okay that's what we all have to believe um but it should it should matter for something mm. you know mm. um yeah yeah hey listeners I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about the Unfeigned Christianity membership program if you've been enjoying this conversation particularly this interview with Ernesto Duke on how to read the Old Testament, you may be interested in learning about the Unfeigned Christianity membership program. As a part of the membership program, you receive expanded versions of podcast interviews such as this. So for instance, with Ernesto, in this episode, we're simply looking at how to read the Old Testament. But we spent 40 minutes diving deeper in how to understand Old Testament law and how to understand biblical prophecy. And the members of Unfeigned Christianity on Patreon will receive access to the whole episode that includes that conversation as well. Another thing that members get is two deep dive essays a month that look at something Christians are wrestling through right now. So for instance, deconstruction has been something that many are talking about and processing. And so in a few days, I'm going to be releasing a deep dive essay that looks at is deconstruction destructive and kind of wrestling through what leads people to deconstruct and is it right or wrong to deconstruct and how can we deconstruct in a way that actually leads to something better than just kind of negativity or or even another posture towards it is just to avoid it like no any deconstruction is bad and and so that's an example of a essay that's coming up we have a lot of essays already published that you'll receive access to such as is it wrong for christians to masturbate thinking through the black lives matter movement what ravi's fall tells us about how we handle brokenness in the church and many more types of deep dive essays. If this sounds like something you're interested in, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and become a member today. It's as cheap as $10 a month. That gives you access again to expanded podcast episodes as well as deep dive essays twice a month and everything that's in the archives. Again, the address is www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. And I don't know, I don't know what the, if you've changed the modules much since I, since I went through them a couple of years ago, but um, one of the things that I've really appreciated and you were, I think one of the first profs that I had that really did this intentionally. I know the school kind of frames, frames itself this way, but the, the, like the school frames themselves, EBC frames themselves is not telling you what to believe, but um um, inviting you or, or trying to get you to ask the questions and have conversations about yeah uh, the text that you're but then you um different periods throughout I can't I know this was with Genesis 1 when we first got going but different parts throughout the 
I think even like some of the conquests and like did did God command genocide and like some of those questions, you had us watch other lecture other yeah. Bible preachers or scholars that gave competing viewpoints on it. Yeah. And it was it was all part of that process of what you're saying, like learning how to listen to others who have spent their life, yeah, life studying this and um yeah, as well as the whole concept of at least the Torah or most of the Bible being like um, Jewish meditation literature where you're, yeah. Yeah. The, you're supposed to spend lots of time in it. And, right. Right. Um, yeah. The, the idea of like, I, I literally just told my students this yesterday in our discussion was like, when you approach a very intense time of learning scripture, which is what Bible college seminary, or even like your own personal, like, I'm going to spend a certain amount of time every day studying Isaiah or whatever. It is a, uh, I think it's an American um, or maybe just a Western education concept to think that the end result of this is they will have complete mastery over whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, When in like, that's just, that's not how scripture is designed to work. Like really what you should be doing is teaching yourself how to better understand or better reread this section of scripture right mm-hmm. um but with the with the intention the ultimate intention that i am going to continue to reread and restudy and revisit this one section of scripture for my entire life and every time i do it ought to like i ought to approach it with newfound wisdom from other parts of scripture that i've been or just like life you know like yeah I, I, a lot has changed in how I read scripture now that I have kids, you know, that was totally different before I had kids. And I, I am sure that, you know, once I've have adult children um, who've been through their teen years and then, you know, young adult years, and maybe if I have grandchildren, like it'll change again where, you know, I'll, yeah. Um, but even just see like that whole thing we were talking about with judges. Um, I think it's, you'd have to be a genius to see that the first time you read Judges. But you read it four or five times and you have people who dedicated their life to reading and understanding this book kind of give you some keys and hints and, well, do you see what's happening here? And where's Saul from? And what happens in the last chapters? And where's the tribe that's really messing things up? And what's going on with that Levite and her concubine? And she wants to stay in a pagan city, but he wants to stay in Gibeah. And people just start asking these questions and you realize like, oh yeah, there's a lot more going on here that I, that I never got, um, you know, and and that kind of goes back to like that, what you were saying at the very beginning where you knew a lot of Bible stories, but you didn't necessarily understand the story of the Bible and how it all fits together. Um, so like, yeah, in this discussion of like how to read scripture or how do we approach the old Testament? Like, I think that if nothing else, just start with the, with the conviction then I'm going to read the whole thing, whatever it is, whatever you're reading, read the whole thing. Um, I do these Bible assessments where I'm like assessing biblical literacy for potential missionaries. And 95% of the time, when we talk about the book of Judges, when I ask them, what is Judges 17 through 21 about? You know, Judges, the story of Samson ends in chapter 16. So what's 17 through 21 about? Nothing. Like they've never read it right? Hmm. They've only experienced judges through the individual stories of the judges and the little arcs, the story arcs of the judges, Mm -hmm. but never realized like, oh, this thing has an epilogue and it's, you know, it's, um, 
it's through narrative tying like the whole message of the judges together or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and I, I truly do think it's because their, their experience with judges is like a Bible study where they read the story of Deborah and Barak or of Ehud or of Samson. Mm -hmm. And they've never sat and like just went judges one through 21. And let me like really digest the whole thing. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. I believe you. You believe me? <laughs> uh, all right. So here, uh, since we're ending up, this is my last my last thing that I'll say about the Old Testament. Yeah. I often joke, well, I mean, I could say more at another time, but I often joke, and it is, it is like every other good joke, you know, there's some truth to it, but I often joke that I think it is hilarious and quite despicable that churches spend most of their time teaching from the appendix right like if you've got the not just the new testament so i might have i might have revised my answer since last time we talked about this but i feel like that the pinnacle the climax of the story and the almost the end of the story if you will is um is the end of acts right that you've got this entire Mm -hmm. story that's leading and leading to the son of david the descent you know the one who sit on the throne forever the seed of abraham like the serpent crusher from genesis 13 and all these different things and then he's finally born and matthew and luke and uh, yeah just matthew and luke make like a really really big big point to connect jesus to those particular people and john makes a really really big point to connect jesus to like the eternal logos to like the one who's existed forever right and then they tell the story of this guy jesus of his ministry and all these different things he does to to live consistently within the story and at the end of his life he dies and he's resurrected which is also like what we're looking for servant songs uh isaiah 53 type of type of thing serpent crusher just 315 type of thing and then jesus even sits down with these people on the red on the road to emmaus and he's like hey let me tell you how this whole thing like it was all going to right in this point right here right Mm. and then you've got like the last scenes of a movie so you know the climax of the movie is usually happening i'm just using movie terms right it's usually happening maybe 10 15 minutes before the end of the movie Mm. and those 10 15 minutes is the book of acts like but it's, it's almost like begging for a sequel, right? It'd be, all of us have seen movies like this where you think that it's winding down and then some things start to happen and you're like, oh, dang, like more is going to go on, right? Mm-hmm. Now, then the, you know, close scene, right? That's the end of Acts. And then you've got the letters that are arranged in, uh, they're arranged in how long they are for the most part, I think, right? And so, and what are all these letters doing? They're trying to explain to you how the climax of the movie, not just you, but they're trying to explain to their audience how the climax of the movie is how it's actually the same movie as the, as, or let's just use the the book. Like this book of the gospels um, is actually the same exact story of this giant trilogy, Torah prophets writings that have shaped our people and shaped this particular people forever. And I know you think it's different. And I know you think it's like some weird one-off, you know, Star Wars reboot or whatever, but it's not, it's the same exact story. And it's like, this is actually the climax of the whole thing. And that's what Paul's doing. That's what John's doing. That's what Peter's Mm -hmm. doing. They're, They're talking to different groups of people and trying to convince them that this trilogy is related to this, you know, climax right here of the gospels. Right. Yeah. And then you have an epilogue 
It's called revolution, revelation, right? Yeah. And the epilogue kind of ties into all this different stuff. But let me just ask you and everyone who listened this far, like what book would you ever open up and immediately flip to the appendix, the appendices and read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and all these different appendixes, which are really, what's the point of an appendix? It's because there was something earlier that we didn't really understand. And so now I want to take like, you know, a few paragraphs or pages to try and help you understand it. Like Paul's, you know, magnum opus to the Romans is really just like, hey, look at Jews and Rome and Gentiles. Like, okay, there's something going on. And let me tell you, you know, with and and so much Old Testament imagery and anybody who's a Roman scholar is going to hate like all of this that I'm saying, right? Because obviously it's more complicated than that. But here's my, my dying plea for people is that we would, we would think it was so silly to treat any other story the way that we treat the Bible, where you spend all your time in the appendices, right? You're just, yeah. and they're, they're valuable. And unlike other appendices and different books, you should actually probably read them and try and understand this very unique contextualized thing that this person's trying to explain to a particular group of people. Like a, maybe you might yeah. find a case study at the end of a book about something like that. But all of that won't make any sense if you don't know the whole story, right? Mm. Why, why is this person talking about this? Why are they explaining that? Why is, why is the author of Hebrews trying to convince me that Jesus is better than Melchizedek, than Moses, and the angels? Like, why does that matter? You know? Well, it mm. matters because of the entire story ahead of time, right? Mm. Um, so maybe that's not as big of a problem in the Anabaptist church. You said that folks usually tend to think, yeah. right, stick in the gospels. But even then, that's just like watching... Uh, uh, let's like let's like if you're doing like the Lord of the Rings trilogy and all you do is rewatch the scene of the re- the king returning and Gandalf and the and whatever that king's name is I can't remember all of it like destroying all the orcs and the evil army and then like the last few minutes of that movie yeah and next time you're like yo you guys want to watch Lord of the Rings yes let's do it and so you just start the third movie at the last 20 minutes and they just replay that over and over again like obviously it's epic and it's cool but it really doesn't make any sense if you haven't done like all yeah. this stuff ahead of time. Yeah. It's not, it's not that significant that Gandalf comes back glowing white or that this King came back from the dead with the army of the undead to conquer the powers of evil. Like none of that means anything except for just like a cool story. If you don't know what came before in the, yeah. in, the in the series. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, that that's really good. That's really helpful. I think is it you or I I can't remember if it's in the Old Testament class or if it was in the in the gospel class, but where somebody had us read the passage where Jesus talks about like what a true Jew is. And then oh, um, yeah. and there's like eight or nine references, direct references to the Old Testament, maybe specifically the Torah. Yeah. That you would never get if you're just reading right. the, the right. like Jesus it. Jesus isn't just reciting something new. He's referring back to yeah. something his listeners would have been very familiar with. Right, right. But we aren't necessarily. I think what's crazy is that um, you have, we have to understand that what primarily shapes, and I might get into trouble with like uber fundy people, but what primarily shapes the identity and the mission and the life and the ministry of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John is the Old Testament. That's the primary shaper of what it means mm-hmm. that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, who has come to announce the year of Jubilee. You know, like all of this is language and character and boundaries that are shaped by the Old Testament. 
And so why in the world do we think that Paul needs all of that to shape his thinking? Peter needs all of that to shape and understand the life of Jesus. John needs that to understand all of that. But we don't. Like, we, yeah. we, we'll just be able to get it, yeah. right? We'll just be able to read the life of Jesus, the Matthew, the, you know, connection to the different genealogies or, like, what it means to be a true Jew or even, like, the Sermon on the Mount. Or you have heard it said this way, but I say, mm-hmm. but today I say to you, like, why do we think that we're going to be able to do that if Paul and Peter and John and Jesus himself, um, I yeah. want to be careful, but needed to be shaped by the pages of the Old Testament in order to understand truly what it is that, it meant to be the Messiah, yeah. the Son of Man, right? So, yeah. I don't know. You're not better than Jesus. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's good. I, I like your revision of the the whole appendix thing. I think the first time you said it, you you referenced the New Testament as being the appendix. Yeah, I was like, yeah, really? I, I think what? I did. <laughs> no, not just the new. Yeah, the whole New Testament. And I used to say something like. I, I think what I used to say is that like the gospels were like the epilogue, but I think I was just trying to like get a reaction from people. I think I knew, but the acts is a more, re, re, yeah. like that's, that's the newer revision. Like Matthew through acts yeah. um, is where I really think like, this is the pinnacle of the story. And acts is like that last 15 to 20 minutes that's yeah. begging for more to happen, but it just kind of ends, you know? Um, and then all these letters are yeah they're appendices it's appendix mm-hmm. one two three four five six yeah. seven eight nine ten um and that's that's not a way to think about let me be super clear that's not a way to think about how to approach those books right you shouldn't approach galatians as an appendix like there's a whole other conversation you could have with somebody else about like how to approach the letters of the new testament when you're reading mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. it's a way to understand like where these letters fit in the meta narrative of scripture yeah. And the where they fit is right here. There's very, very, very small part at the very end, right? Yeah. But there's yeah. so much that's happened up, you know, up until that point. And it's not just like filler or like interesting to Jewish people or Messianic Jews. Like it is necessary for all of us yeah. to, yeah. to be able to do this part. You got to You got to have some of this in there. Yeah. 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 I like the appendix analogy in that. Yeah. It's crucial to knowing the rest of the story in order to, right. to get why this is even a question or why this is a part yeah right for sure yeah well, well hey thank you it's like 5 20 you were you were gonna go to the store at five o'clock yeah i will yeah luckily the store closes at nine so we got plenty of time there you go yeah all right well, all right thanks so much yeah thank on. you i appreciate it i will uh i highly recommend ebc i'd at this point, I am not getting anything for recommending EBC. So, yeah, you <laughs> this is should. Not like a, this is not a, a, what's the term when you're paid to uh, recommend something? Yeah, paid sponsorship. But, but it's just a, my experience. I really, really appreciate the school. Really appreciate you, Ernesto, and your your um, effort and and work put into walking us through the the Old Testament. Yeah, no problem, man. I love it. You know kind of gave my life kind of gave my life to it so it's kind of an important thing (laughs) to me (laughs) yeah exactly all right well thank you man see ya
Christianity is brought to you by our members at Patreon. As a part of the membership program, you receive two deep dive essays a month and expanded versions of all our podcast interviews. If you would like to become a member, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Unfeigned Christianity Podcast is also a part of two networks, the Restorative Faith Collective, where we have conversations about race, perspectives, and relationships in an Anabaptist context. To learn about more articles and podcasts, visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.